Clay, as we enter December, otherwise known as the start of meteorological winter, <laughs> we are very, very fortunate to finally get to the only Christmas-themed episode of Voyager called The Gift. So how are, how are you and are you ready to open this present for all of our listeners? It was a, it's a very non-denominational Christmas where, yeah. you know, like it's like a Starbucks Christmas where stuff is just red. Yep. You get a red it's cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to apologize to the star for my voice. I'm battling post-COVID laryngitis, so I'm going to do the best that I can. Clay was up all night delivering presents to all the good boys and girls in the world, and his throat is paying the price for it today. Yeah, it's the winter. It's cold. The baby has a cold, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sick in the next podcast recording just to yes. brace everybody I, for that. I would like someone, probably Kyle, to go back through specifically this year and see how many podcasts we've done where one or both of us are sick. I, I, I think it's actually, a, it seems like it's a pretty, maybe just sticks, but it seems like it's a pretty high percentage. Like it's it probably does. like 20%, which you it would was, think, yeah. There was a period of like six weeks where you were just sick all I was sick and sick for a long time. I don't seem to, I think I've talked about this, but the, the podcasting makes my sicknesses worse. If I try to record like you are now while I have a sore throat, I spend the next two weeks recovering from that podcast session. I know I, I always know I should not do it, but I do it just to keep on schedule and it never works out. It's like, well, it always makes my voice worse. That's what happened is, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, it's actually funny if you go back and you, if you watch the last episode of our show, mm -hmm. you'll notice me like leaning off camera to cough quite a bit. Uh, that was, you can watch me in real time, get COVID. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> the following day I recorded with Amanda and at the end of that recording, my voice was just done. Mm -hmm. And then, since then it has gotten progressively worse. And this is actually the best it sounded in probably five days. Glad to have you back with us. We'll, we'll get this Voyager podcast train back on track once we're all better and whatever else is getting in the way. So we are recording live. If you guys are unaware, if you are on Patreon and you support us at the $10 level, you can watch these live recordings. And Poindexter G is in the audience right now. I just wanted to say hello to him right uh, for letting us know about our audio and stuff like that. And let's get to it, Clay. This is the, ooh, get out of here, the gift. It's the second episode of the fourth season of Star Trek Voyager. It came out on the 10th of September, 1997. Where do I go after that? Written by Joe Minoski, directed by Anson Williams in Universe Day. This one's funny. It doesn't have a decimal point. It's 51008, which feels funny. Oh, wow. In this episode called The Gift, Kess's telepathic and latent psychokinetic powers begin to grow rapidly while Voyager's newest crew member, the former Borg drone Seven of Nine, deals with her new individuality. So here we are with the second, yes. with the second seven of nine episode and Kess's farewell episode. Um, so I guess my, my opening, and if you ever feel the need to uh, stop talking cause your voice hurts, just let me know and I'll try to fill the air, but I'll open it here uh, to let you prep. I thought that this was um, two things. This one reminds me strongly of TNG's family episode, which is the episode that happens after Best of Both Worlds, where Picard goes back to France and like talks to his brother and father and deals with like the fallouts of being assimilated. Sure. Because this feels like a direct third episode of the Scorpion arc. Like this is the end of yeah. the Scorpion arc, really. I can see that, yeah. And 
two, it was in some ways, like I've been begging on Voyager for the past couple seasons and specifically the end of season three saying that the show has no like character work or anything in it. Like all the characters are just carbon copies of each other. Like family. I thought that this was, well, not as good as family. I thought this was an interesting episode in that it felt the most character driven of any Voyager episode in the past, like two years, I think. And, um, I thought this episode was pretty good. I think it has some weird Voyager quirks to it that make it not an all time good, a great episode. But while I was watching it, I enjoyed it more while I was watching it than when I sat down and thought about it after it was over. But I really, I kind of enjoyed it while it was on going like, wow, these, you know, the doctor has a lot of little like funny doctor quirky lines in this one. Like Janeway has a decent community, uh, conversation with seven and casts in this one. I was like, yeah, there's some actual, some actual character stuff going on in this one. What an unusual situation for the show, but it does have some problems, but that's my main takeaway is that I thought that this was very similar to family in its setup and like the third episode of a three episode arc. And I was happy with the amount of character stuff that was going on in it. Yeah. Um, I thought this was episode was half really good and half dumb as hell. (laughs) (laughs) I remember, sorry, I'll let you continue that thought. I would actually say I liked this episode more than the Scorpion two-parter in some ways. I think I would agree with you, actually. Yeah. Okay. This was, um, well, half of it anyway. um, All the stuff with Seven of Nine and Janeway I thought was really good and Mm -hmm. really interesting. And it was um, the stuff that we had talked about in the Scorpion episode, specifically how it's actually kind of a weird ethical quandary doing what they're doing. Um, just snatching a Borg and forcing it to become a human again. Yeah. They actually get into, they get into a lot of stuff that we complained that they didn't get into in Scorpion. They also get into the, um, not the least of which how they met the Borg. 20 years before the TNG crew did. Yes, right. They, they talk about that a little. They hint at it, at least. They acknowledge that it's there. Yeah, that was the other thing I was trying to remember. So they, that, that's the other thing I liked about it is like from the Scorpion episodes, I was like, you know, I would rather they have talked about these things. And yeah. this is the episode where they talk about it. So I do give them credit for at least getting to it, you know, not dropping the ball. Yeah. I will say where it gets a little weird. <clears throat> well, I don't know. I Because I think them talking about about it kind of sidesteps the weirdness for me because Janeway's I'm not sure where I'm supposed to come down on what's going on here because I think in terms of the Janeway seven disagreement. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I think the traditional reading of what's going on is of course the Borg are bad. Of course it is bad to be a Borg. So what Janeway is doing is right, regardless of what Seven of Nine thinks. However, that's not really the way they play it in the show. They surprisingly kind of play the middle ground where they're kind of, they're giving good credence to Seven of Nine's side too about um, the the part where I thought it, it, it stuck the landing or stuck the point pretty well was when uh, Seven of Nine refers to being turned back into a human as assimilation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, and then she, later on she says, 
well, okay, how about this? If you, uh, what if I let you turn me back into a human and then I say I want to be a Borg again, will you let me be a Borg? And Jim was like, no, of course not. Like, you know what? <laughs> what are we doing here then? <laughs> so I, like, I think yeah. they get into some pretty interesting stuff that isn't, <clears throat> I don't, I don't, I'm not expecting this to continue, unfortunately. Like, I feel like once she shows up in the, jumpsuit suit at the end yeah that's probably the end of this discussion maybe not i hope not we'll see mm -hmm. but um yeah i thought that stuff was really good i thought it, it was like you said i think it was probably the best straight up character work they've done on the show in a long time if not ever yeah um and unfortunately it was hampered by cast getting poochied right out of the show <laughs> <laughs> we can um I guess I'll I'll stick with seven because we can end with Kess. I guess because um, I don't I agree with you that the seven storyline the seven the seven storyline is good and I think that the Kess storyline is like an effort that doesn't get there really like it's 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 so we'll get to the Kess thing I, I guess the seven aspect is um, worth talking about just because I think that seven. I similarly thought the same thing about like, I don't know if the show knows what it's doing with this debate between the two of them. And it, it kind of ties into my point in the second part of Scorpion, which is that I, I feel that the show and maybe just like a lot of shows in general would have a hard time breaking down what is the core disagreement here between the Borg collectivism versus Starfleet's quote unquote individuality thing that they're going on with. And you're like this is tough to turn into like an abstraction or like a sci-fi concept. This is something that like is difficult to get across because it's very, it's impossible to understand what it means to be a Borg. So the metaphor gets a little bit tough to like internalize it in that way. But I thought that, I thought that Janeway made one effective point, which is that when seven wakes up, Janeway has an argument that's basically along the lines of like, without the, um, the voices with the voices being gone and the sort of like feeling a part of a larger unit that thinks cohesively and doesn't have like, doesn't question anything, just kind of like there's like a strength in numbers type of idea uh, to them is probably the most effective, um, analogy to like, if you're looking at the Borg as like a historical thing, that's the clearest analogy, I think, to the like communist Soviet style that they're that the Borg are kind of set up as as this sure. like collectivist thing. So it's kind of the like, you know, it's it's it's, that, it's always that sort of like um, the socialist argument is really just that like if you're all working together, there's like a, there's like that movie My Perestroika where they talk about this a lot. Like people who live through the Soviet era come out of it thinking like, you know. I understand it was bad, but at the same time, I miss the sort of like just someone telling me what to do. Like, this is your job. You just kind of do it. And it's like, now that I'm on my own, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do because I'd never had to think about it. And I thought that seven's point from seven's thing from there makes sense to me. I think when it gets a little bit more interesting, 
but also confusing is when it moves to the point of that the Federation is basically kind of the same as the Borg and that they like assimilate people in the same way. And then you start getting into like, well, I don't really know what we're arguing about anymore. Like I, this has kind of turned into something I didn't really expect it to. And also that Janeway being told that kind of leads into the Kess story, which is that Janeway then, I think the implication is that Janeway decides that Kess has to decide what's best for her. So that's why she lets her go at the end. Like the, the, the seven conversation seems to lead into the Kess thing, which is that you have to do what's right for you. And I was like, well, okay, I, I guess. So Ultimately, I think that it comes down to it's a lot of like interesting ideas that I never really feel like they cohesively have a single thing that they're talking about the entire time. It's a whole bunch of different points, which has both pluses and minuses. The pluses being there's a lot of interesting ideas and the minuses being that I don't really know where I'm supposed to land by the end of it because I'm sort of even confused about what people are arguing about anymore. Yeah. I thought the... Um Federation assimilating people thing actually did work in in the context of of the way it was being presented <clears throat> because it's coming from seven who desires to be a Borg the way that humans desire to remain human and as far as she's concerned what they're doing to her is no different than what the Borg do to to the humans whether or not that is actively true in like a larger sense. Yes, yeah. definitely, you know, debatable. But from her at that moment, that's, you know, it, it feels no difference. Like if if I was going to try to if I was her and I was trying to make an argument with with uh, Janeway, I would probably say the same thing. Um, would you do you think that Janeway is swayed by the argument? I get the impression Janeway is well, swayed by the argument. I probably you know what I think is missing a little bit from this episode is she never talks about this unless I missed misremembering. She doesn't really have a scene where she kind of sits with this stuff and talks about it with anybody else. Janeway. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no, it's not really a scene where she and like Chakotay talk about this at all. And she kind of like mulls it over. Yeah. And I think that's where the muddiness comes because <clears throat> Janeway is, her intentions episode to episode are so... Uh, wild, wild. Yeah, they are wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of tough to tell where she's coming from in doing this at all. No, that's what I, I was thinking. I was comparing her to Picard watching this going like, I never had a real sense of confusion as to where Picard stood on things. You know, like I could, I can tell where he's supposed to come from, but yeah. it's what you're saying that Janeway is so ethically sort of all over the place and like what she considers to be the right thing to do. Um, that it's difficult to know when she is being convinced of something new in some ways. Yeah. Like it's hard, it's hard to tell where she stands at the start and where she stands at the end of something, because it's, it's hard to, it's impossible to know where she is at the front of a story. And even the way she plays it is confusing because when they're when they're getting into these conversations, you would think that Janeway would be a lot more um, <clears throat> compassionate in her tone. 
mm-hmm. where it's like, we are trying to help you. We are trying to give you back what you lost. But the tone she comes across with is, you're a trash piece of bore. We're going to turn you back into a human, you piece of shit. Is she like a boot camp coach or something? I'm that's, not really sure what's going on. That's probably the um, the point that's the, like, I was, because uh, I was also sort of confused about the argument about like, who's right here in this situation? Like, what do I actually think is going on? But I, I think that thinking about it, the closest analogy that gets me to where Janeway is, is that the Borg is a, being a Borg is equivalent to like an addiction, right? So sure. like, that's really the only, like, because I don't buy Janeway's argument. If the argument is just like, I just want to be the thing that I want to be. And you're standing in my way at that point. I go, that's a pretty good point. But if you, if this was just a drama and seven was addicted to heroin and it was like ruining her life, Janeway's argument, I go, well, of course, Janeway's right in this. Like this is objectively a Borg is just a bad way to be. I would probably say less drug addiction and more like brainwashing. Like she's part of a cult or something. Cause like that, that has, I feel like a a similar kind of social thing to it where it's Mm -hmm. like, well, I mean, she's not hurting herself and she's not hurting anybody else. And are we really right to pull her out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I see, I'm, I was thinking the same thing more along, uh, more or less. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of thinking on my feet as to why, whether or not the cult thing or the drug thing, I guess they're both. Yeah. I guess they're both correct. It's a, I guess that the, the way that they're setting up the Borg, which leads me to a drug thing is that there could like the She's cult going through like withdrawal basically. Yeah. And, and that it's like a, the cult, like there could be like sort of a, like the, if the Borg are the drug, there's, there's much more of a negative vision of the Borg than like a cult, like the cult thing, I guess like it would have to be like a pretty deranged cult. Like it, it wouldn't just yeah. be like, a, you know, like, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, or whatever. Like, you know, like you know, Nexium or one of those. Weird, sure, one of those like things. Heaven's but, Gate or something like that. But the, the Heaven's Gate is a bad example because you'll kill yourself. So I can understand. Yeah, sure. But I'm thinking of like a sort of like benevolent minor religion or something where it's like Scientology. Yeah, and you're you're like you know you're not. It's not horrible to be a Scientologist. I'd rather you were not. But it's like you're not hurting anybody, so I don't really care. I think that the. The Borg are set up in That's Star the Trek. Trek. The church hurts people for you. <laughs> the, the, the Borg are set up, I think, in Star Trek more of a negative, this is hurting you. Like, this is actively a bad thing for you. I guess that's why I go with the drugs over a cult, because it's treating... Seven wants to actively go back to a bad situation. And where it gets confusing for me is just the fact that if that's where the collectivism versus individual thing falls apart for me because you're, if you're just going by letting seven do what she wants, that is the individualistic idea, but they, they can't in the way that it's very obvious to understand a drug addiction. It's hard for this show to explain why a Borg is a bad thing to be. You know what I mean? That's a very hard thing to get across. Yeah. Cause she, and you, you end up in this kind of Ouroboros of explaining 
Yeah. Like internal logic because it's like, okay, we want you to be your own person. Great. I want to be a Borg. It's like, okay, well, you're only saying that because right. you are a Borg. <laughs> you are under Borg control. Yes. The idea right. is to eliminate that. So you are, can be a human. Okay. So if you make me a human and then I want to be a Borg, I can do this. Like, well, no, because you're only saying that now because you're a Borg. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it is exactly that. And it, it stumbles a little bit there uh, just because of the, the difficulty of this, the, uh, the metaphor. Yeah. I, you know, I honestly don't mind it that much because I do think it makes it really interesting to think about, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't, I don't really know if, if they need to come down specifically on a side necessarily. I guess my argument is I don't know what the sides are that this would like that because the, there's, there seem to be four sides. So I'd like to know which sides like are Borg or like a cube. That's what this yeah, is. Eight. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a flat board cube. Um, that's the only thing. Like if it had chosen one of those paths and they argued it effectively, go, oh, that's fine. But it seems like they switch it halfway through the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Quick, uh, Scientology story. Mm-hmm. I was in California earlier this year and uh, I was walking with a friend of mine and we walked by a building with a big bay window in front, like a big window mm-hmm. that was a Scientology building. But I didn't know that at the moment. And then I turned and I looked through the window and I said, what's that place? And my friend said, that's a Scientology building. And as soon as I turned and looked, there was like four or five people in the, in the, the foyer of this building, just minding their own business. As soon as I turned and looked through the window, all five of them at the same time popped their heads up and looked at me out through the window and then waved. It was the creepiest <laughs> thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> they sensed your uh, Edelon so levels. To say, I signed up. Yes. <laughs> Get ready for a very exciting post show, people. We have some literature we'd like to read you. Uh, some uh, Theta readings later. <laughs> so the rest of it is um, Seven getting her. Borg pieces taken off. I thought this was a good doctor episode. There's a lot of funny doctor lines in it. I can't think of any uh, particularly, but I liked his, um, at the end, he's just like, I've stimulated your hair follicles and that makes me very jealous. I was was glad they brought that up because when they showed her at the end, I was like, what the fuck? Come on. (laughs) I was, I was honestly hoping her transition was going to take more than one episode because I think there's more story you can get out of that. And that's, they're not, they, yeah, I, I agree with you with the Star Trek. It can't do it. It's just, yeah. it's a three episode thing. Yeah. I mean, maybe they keep it personality wise. Um, maybe she's still personality wise is still struggling, which I think would be really good. And she becomes that character I talk about all the time that I really like, which is the villain who is brought into the fold on the good guy's side, but you're never sure whether or not they're going to turn on you. Yeah. Yeah. Seems to be the intent at this point. We'll see where it goes. Although I did not like the final line of dialogue, which seems to betray that, which is like, I need to keep you in here until I can trust you. And she goes, I won't ever do that again. I I wanted something a little bit better than that. I went back and I watched the last scene with her before that, where it's the two of them and the, uh, she's looking at the picture of herself and stuff. Yeah. Because I thought I missed something because she went from get that little kid away from me i don't know what's going on here too yes i'll never do anything bad right again. and it was like oh. i would have preferred a more i would have preferred a more vague answer from seven i think there that that's the only way that that makes sense yeah, definitely um 
Is this horrible to listen to, by the way? I can't, I just. It sounds okay. It sounds, sounds a little bit crinkly, but I think things will be fine. Do I sound like a lost Baldwin brother? <laughs> did, um, we see seven in her. I w- actually, I'm sorry. I did the other day. I was trying to talk and get my, you know, see if I could get things back. <clears throat> and I realized that my normal speaking voice was basically my Rick Berman voice. <laughs> And it was very strange for a little bit. <laughs> well, speaking of Berman, we see Seven in her cat suit at the end of this oh, yeah. episode. Um, you know, I I don't have Jerry, any... Jerry, <laughs> hear me out. What if we shoot it from the back for the first shot and we just we just get all of it? <laughs> Sorry, this is making Berman sound even creepier. Berman's getting a little... (laughs) Just a slow push in, you know, right on those cheeks. Push in, pull out. (laughs) Do you think... I don't have any... The doctor says he designed this suit this way on purpose. (laughs) Do you... Seven looking this way is the way that seven looks to me like that's it's it's kind of like a cost it's just like the thing that she is so i have a very hard time um sort of on my own coming with an up with an argument against her cat suit because it seems like it's just the thing that she wears yeah. but ron moore had an interview that i thought was pretty interesting um it's just like the opening paragraph here is, um, how can you really take her seriously in this getup? If you want a positive future where we wear our sexuality on our sleeves, where it's very open and no one is put off by people being very sexual, that's great. That's very much in tune with how Gene Roddenberry saw the future. The rest of Voyager is not like that. Nobody walks around with an outfit like that on the ship. You don't go down the corridor and see some woman strolling by in a bikini on her way to the holodeck, which would be perfectly plausible. If you're really going to have the holodeck and you're going to have these beach parties down there, every once in a while you should see somebody just strolling to the beach doing their thing guys in speedos or whatever. And I thought that's a really good point is that it's not, he, he goes on a little bit more to talk about like how Voyager would have made sense this way. in that like the concept of the show would have started p- having people sort of be, act more naturalistic on the ship because yeah. they're no longer within the confines of the Federation. And he's arguing that people would start wearing more casual clothing and stuff. And this makes sense. I do like his point that, the problem with seven is that she's the only one that does it. That's the reason that it's actually a problem. Yeah. Well, honestly, I think it would be less of a problem if she chose it Hmm. because it's given to her by the doctor and it's like, you know, I don't know. It's kind of weird, but like if she was, (laughs) if part of her turning back into a human was she is choosing to wear something provocative and form fitting and everyone else is kind of like, I mean, all right. You know, yeah. like that, like that's, it, that's more interesting, but that, you know, there's always someone in a cat suit on the, on Star Trek and no one ever talks about it. Yeah. Cause um, it's not, it's not like her, um, it's not like her Borg outfit or Jinko jeans or anything. It's a pretty tight fitting Borg right. outfit. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I will say this episode, I think Star Trek amazingly, even going back to the original series, does a pretty good job of avoiding um, really cliche feeling like 50s sci-fi stuff. 
like goofy shit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Even when they get goofy on this show, it tends to be fairly unique. But I thought this show, this episode really started swinging towards like 50s cheesy sci-fi with her jumpsuit, which feels like right out of Buck Rogers or something. Yeah, yeah. And also <clears throat> Kess just having these moments where she's like, my telekinesis is coming online. I feel like I've found a new dimension that I can tap into with. Like, oh. like it feels, it feels so cheesy. Yeah. We can go to cast then. Do you, or did you have anything else you want to say about seven? I thought that, um, I didn't like, uh, or I thought that Ryan's performance in the scorpion two parter, uh, was not not great. I, th- I think she's better here. Actually, I she thought is. this was a better performance. Yeah. I th- yeah, I think she's better, and it makes more sense to play it this way because she's in the process of becoming human. Correct. Um, right. I think in the Latin Scorpion, she should have been a little bit more drone like, but yeah. she's. I think she gets it pretty good here. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> so it's maybe just a, a misplay of of the Scorpion arc. Um, sorry. Anything else about Seven, or do you want to go to Cass? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I never realized she had a fake eyeball. Yeah. Well, it looks she's so like, good that you'd never notice it. Yeah, it looks like exactly. Space Columbo. Yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was another good doctor line. He's like, he's like, aren't I a genius for getting the color of the iris exactly right? You know, very good doctor. Very good doctor. Um, yeah, I thought it was a good seven episode. Uh, my final thought about seven before we go to Cass. Seven is... It's going to be interesting to me because I never really thought about it. But the obvious point of comparison for seven is Odo because they have remarkably similar. I need to get back. It was very tight fitting uh, security suits, but they have similar desires to get back to what they consider to be home to the downside of whether or not it's the right thing to do. Like Odo has his betrayal episodes where he's desperate to get back. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how those two play off. I would think without knowing much that's seven has a, a long road to hoe here because the Odo arc, I think is near perfect in what they, Odo's arc is, they managed to get Odo's arc to fit the story of DS nine. Well, you know, like his, his drives to get home ends the series, his, his thing, his thing of like, I'll make this sacrifice and I get to go home and this is what ends the war and stuff. But it also propels a lot of his decisions through the course of the series about what he does. So we'll yeah. see, we'll see what happens there. Um, Cass. So why does the cast storyline suck? And was, we'll, we'll get into, I think in the post show, we'll get into like the production side of like, was Kess the right person to go or and things like that. But let's just stick to, what makes this cast storyline bad? Well, <clears throat> um, a comes out of nowhere. Uh, except it's a, it's a repeat of whatever what was that cold fire. Remember that episode where she, she had like the, she saw the fire and was like able to set things and burn people. Remember uh, that episode? Yeah. yeah. It's that well, again. That's, that's a, that's a thread. They've been, they've been tickling that thread tracking down ever since. <laughs> Yeah, it comes out of nowhere. Um, it's just really lame. It, like it, it, it made it me has, feel sad. I, I actually, yeah. I was sad in that this was the final cast. Like I, thing. I, I said earlier, kind of half, not really jokingly, she gets poochied out of the show, basically, where she almost literally has a scene where she's like, I have to go. My planet needs me now. 
and then she just blows up into the ether or whatever. And it, it's like, it's she not, doesn't see, she doesn't even say goodbye to her. I think it's the fact that they have yeah. a seven storyline and she can't say goodbye to her. I, this was maybe the best Neelix and Kess scene that they did together because there was like a, Neelix wasn't a fucking turd the entire time. It like, it, it felt like it was a nice conversation. There was, I think it's the first time they've talked about their breakup since it happened. So it's like, all right, it has to happen here, but I don't know how you have a farewell to a character and she doesn't talk to literally everybody on the ship yeah. and say goodbye at some point. I think they, <clears throat> well, I was going to say, I think they dropped the ball because even though the scene with Neelix is good, I am shocked that he is not the, there with her as she gets onto the shuttlecraft. Yeah, tu Tuvok kind of steps in and does. I like the Tuvok thing too. I so I was thinking about the Tuvok thing. Like, all right, it makes sense because I don't know they did whatever. But shouldn't mentor it be, shouldn't yeah. it be Tom. I think Tuvok make, makes more sense. Tuvok, Tuvok's yeah. been her mentor through the series in a way that Paris is just kind of like a relationship in an alternate reality that doesn't, you know? Yeah. I guess I was thinking like, well, first of all, he has nothing to do in the episode. He just, well, he looks concerned when they say that's, that Kess is leaving. Yeah. He's like on the thing. And then they said, Kess is leaving. And he just goes, that's, that's all he does. But like, I don't know. I feel like, especially when you have this alternate reality, that is supposedly the actual timeline they're going down where these two, end up married yes why not have take them the, the minute to do have tom have this be his uh running after the girl in the airport scene you know agreed agreed like i gotta you know i'm sorry i gotta talk to you i gotta tell you something <clears throat> third reason it sucks is it's not in service of anything like they uh, she yeets them nine hundred thousand light years or whatever yeah. but um it's not like there's no problem in the episode that is solved by what Cass does. Yeah. She sort of is a problem because every time she starts to phase out, it, it, it breaks up the ship or something. Listen, these like, are some of the best explosions in the background. Yeah. Shit. That, that, that looked great. I don't know. I don't know what the, they put a lot of money into that, that those explosions in the hallway. No, I Big fire budget. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. What's interesting is the the uh, the production side of it was that the original idea was that Kess's powers are supposed to manifest in this way, and the ethical dilemma is that they actually have to like abandon her. It's not it's not a choice sure. that she wants to go. It's that she's too dangerous to the entire ship, so they have to just leave her behind. Jesus, that that is definitely a choice Janeway would make. <laughs> but that that gives you that's a decision within the cast storyline, you know, because there's no, there's no decision that's made in this besides like, I just should go and they go, yeah, you should go. And th then she leaves. Yeah. I think what probably might've made more sense, um, but maybe would have been the, the more uh, conventional way to go was this is how Scorpion part two should end is the Kess's thing should probably start manifesting itself in the first half mm -hmm. and then in the second half when they are at their most dire point Kess sends them 900,000 light years with seven on the ship so now you know what like that kind of so I yeah. feel like in that that way she can be a benefit to the to the crew and save them yeah as opposed to just getting uh 
Tasha Yard, basically. I mean, I, I, I don't really know. I guess Tasha's death is probably still worse, but um, yeah. <laughs> this is pretty close. It's, it's pretty dumb. I'm, yeah, I mean, I, it, it does feel, it does feel like it's just, they have to get her off the show somehow. And this is the only way that they can do it. And it has a kind of brutal efficiency in that way. But I, I really think to, to me, the mistake that's made is that it's one of those things of like, they, they just gave a little bit too much. I, I feel that you can delay the seven storyline a little bit. Yeah, like you, yeah. you can just, you know, have that be the B plot, but have it be five minutes of B plot in this episode where it's like, yeah. we're working on seven. If, the, if, if this episode ends with seven and Janeway butting heads, right? that's fine. Yeah. You got 25 episodes <laughs> this season, guys. <laughs> that's, that's really the problem to me is that I, th I think yeah. that if you're going to say goodbye to an actress and I, I felt bad for Leanne or lean or whatever her name is in, in this one, it's just like, this was not done well. And I guess the cast agree and all the interviews I were reading, they just, they thought she was kind of done dirty a little bit. Like, this yeah. is like, this is how you say goodbye. And it's like a, it made me realize like watching it, it, it kind of has like a, it had like a sports analogy to, which is that like, you know, when you're younger and you're into sports, you're like, you can be devastated by like a trade of a, a player you really like and stuff like that. But as you get older, you're just like, well, this is just business. Like th this, this felt like very much like just, it was just like a business thing. You know, they're just like, well, your, your contract is up. So you have to go now and that's it. See ya. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. Like, you know, she doesn't even say bye to the doctor. Like she has a bunch of scenes with the doctor. <laughs> she says, she says she's going to say goodbye to him. That was the, that was the worst part. It's like, you we're not even going to see the goodbye between the doctor and Cass. Yeah. It's, it's uh it's a very unfortunate way to fucking what's her name on discovery. Got a whole episode. The yeah. Robot lady. Who know what <laughs> Ari, talk Ari, to. Arian or whatever her name yeah. is. Yeah. No, that, and that's the, um, like I said at the start that there was some really good character work in this. There was, and it was in the seven storyline. It's, it's in the cast one too, a little bit. It's just that I, again, I, you can't have this kind of episode where you say goodbye and she doesn't talk to everybody and have a conversation with everybody. Um, and I, I guess it, one other thing that I thought about the cast and Leanne was the cast performance good or is the flat affect intentional of Cass or is that just a weakness of an actress? Um, I don't know. I've never seen anything else she's ever been in. I've never, I've never seen it either. And uh, like it got me wondering just because this episode is so like Tuvok is more emotional than Cass. I think in this episode, it's like, Oh my God, like you have the fire, you've magnified it. I, I just, it made me wonder if we were overvaluing Cass as a character because I saw this episode and I was just like, well, what can Cass do really at this point? Like even her powers are so vague. It's like, what the fuck are you talking? She can see behind beyond the atom or something. It's like, I don't know what that means. It, it just felt quantum realm. Yeah. She's in the, she's a quantum computer. I don't know. I just, I, I, th I it left me thinking that like, well, I can clearly see why seven will go on to be a fan favorite early on. Like I see what seven is supposed to be and I get seven Cass, We had 
three seasons and I'm like, even at the end, I don't, I don't really know what you are. Yes. Like I, I think you had potential. I just yeah. don't know if that would have ever been realized. Yeah. I think, um, <clears throat> it's tough to answer that question because I feel like the way she plays it in this episode is, uh, completely oblivious, not oblivious, but ambivalent mm. to what's happening. And that, is the way she kind of plays everything. But yeah. if there was ever a time to put a little passion into it, it would be here. And so the fact that she doesn't makes it feel like even she knows this is stupid. Yeah. Well, she, she's interestingly not freaked out by what's happening to her. Everyone exactly. else is freaked out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like with the first time she vibrates into the other sphere, whatever she comes back, she's like, Oh, well, apparently I'm, Back to work. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I uh, I have to leave now. Yeah. I got to go. Yeah. It's too bad. Well, in the post show, we can talk about more of the, uh, the cast's uh, leaving type stuff, but I, I would agree that I thought it was just kind of a unfortunately weak storyline for cast to go out with, but let's go to patron thoughts at this point. If you're a patron and you leave thoughts on the episode, well, if you're a patron at patreon.com slash the Penske file, that is, you can leave your thoughts on upcoming episodes and we read them on the podcast and then we can respond to them. So I'm going to go to the first one here. How was your voice? Do you want me to read more? I would prefer if you, if you read more of them. Yeah. All right. Let me, let me minimize my windows here. All right. Kyle Barrett says the gift. I don't know if I've seen such brutal efficiency in replacement casting before shedding the old model and introducing the hot new blonde in the same episode. Although if they keep Neelix on the show, any other replacement is irrelevant. It's like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. I'm not a fan of how the show gets rid of cast by essentially redoing the season two episode cold fire beat for beat, except this time she turns into Dr. Manhattan at the end. Although sadly without the big blue dick characters talk about cast more than she gets to voice the opinion on what's happening. Happening, but the drama around seven is much better. Janeway is so intensely invested in seven's story for reasons that aren't quite clear. I wish there was a personal motivation there, but maybe it's just the off-screen drama dripping through with Mulgrew infamously leading a bullying campaign against Jerry Ryan. Three out of five. That's the other thing that's, that's tough is that what Janeway is doing to seven does not seem to have any sort of personal reason behind it. you know like yeah she's after, very intense for very little reason yeah. after best of both worlds every time the board come up with picard he's got like you know a chip on his shoulder about it same with like kirk after they kill his son in the movies yeah. anytime yeah. klingons come up janeway is acting like her whole family was killed by the borg or something yes yeah and she just doesn't really have that much contact with them yeah Point extra G says the gift when someone is no longer mentally capable of making their own decision. Uh, when is someone no longer capable of making their own decisions? Janeway decides that she has to make the decision for seven. And the episode seems to argue that Janeway is right to do it. Seven screaming. Why are you doing this to me? Has the same energy as the scene of a parent cutting off their adult child from drugs or alcohol. They seem to be setting up Janeway in a maternal role. As for Cass, the most interesting thing they've ever done with her ends up being part of the setup for her to leave the show. A pity. It's a shame. Sorry. It's a shame that Mulgrew and Jerry Ryan had such a contentious relationship on the show mm-hmm. because it feels like they should probably have the most scenes together based on yes. the way that she's introduced and stuff. They, they might. By the end of the series, they might yeah. have the most scenes with each other. Um, it's Bob J. K. 
Kester. I looked this up before. I, I'm probably saying it wrong, but we'll go with this. Bob, the gift, I guess in the before and after timeline, they didn't meet species 8472. So Kester's abilities remained under control and seven of nine never joined the crew. Speaking of that timeline, I feel that leaving Paris out of Kester's farewell scene shows an awareness of how little chemistry they ever had. A sad but very functional transition episode with an ending reminiscent of DS9's What You Leave Behind, if reminiscent is the right word for something two years later. Four out of five. I also did notice that they used the final shot from Deep Space Nine in this the final yeah, shot of this episode. Yeah, the, the window. The yeah. window pulled yeah. out, yeah. Uh, Changeling says the gift we have reached the skin of evil of Voyager. While I'll admit that Kess didn't have a big impact on the show. I always felt she had a lot of potential and this shows it well as uh, shows it as well as serves as a nice send off. Also seven's last name being Hanson makes me think that the Borg's vendetta against humanity is because of the Mbop song five. You are lucky. You're pretty Harry's out of five. Is she supposed to be from like Sweden or something? Annika Hanson's Annika Hanson. Yeah. Day. Yeah. Well, it answered your question too. She wasn't born on earth. Remember we had this little debate. Right. She's, she's human, but not, not born of earth. Yeah. 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 Something like that. We, um, you do get that episode explaining her family in this season. It's like a couple oh, episodes right. down the road. Yeah. Uh, Taxel bear says the gift Kess quite literally leaves the ship to make space for seven. I do like the idea behind the, behind her power is becoming a danger to the ship, but I wish this development had taken place over a course of a season. Also missed opportunity to have seven's hair grow longer over the course of several episodes to visually accompany her adjustment to being an ex. It was really weird when it was just like, here's a perfect head of hair. <laughs> well, he stimulated her follicles in all the right ways. It's, it almost feels like they took the wig off of Kess. And just put it on to seven. <laughs> <clears throat> I always, um, talking about her physicality, I always feel that Jerry Ryan is very tall, but she's clearly not very tall. She's the same size as Janeway. So it's, uh, yeah. it, it's well, a, <clears throat> funny enough. Um, one of the things I said in one of the Scorpions episodes was the Scorpions episode, you know, the, yeah. the wind of change episode. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> they're going to feed her well. Um, was uh, I was glad they didn't put her in heels as a Borg. She's in heels now, baby. Yeah, yeah. I guess there, there's some something. Women, um, I was watching some interview or something. Women... Uh, when they're in the peak of their cycle, men can, men are, they, they would have women in a research experiment. Women would walk like silhouetted. So you'd only see the sort of like the, the silhouette of them walking mm -hmm. and men would be more attracted to the women who are in the midst of their, the peak of their pregnancy cycle, just from watching silhouettes and heels are apparently the thing that mimics that, that, aspect obviously like by the there's something there's something that women do when they walk where the the heels sound of mimic that obviously the heels this make your legs this pop and ass like pop. science from like 1952 <laughs> all things are cyclical but i thought that that was interesting that men can just uh, they were innately identifying that through uh just like the way people walk um jonas is jonas the next comment is it because all is it because all the ones who are at the uh the the more 
flushing out period were just like hunched over grabbing their back so they were yeah, you can see the you can see the tampon string and that's immediately <laughs> just <laughs> something you're not interested in we know nothing about women i'm sorry <sighs> jonas says the gift good if pretty heavy-handed in its american individualist propaganda three borg babes out of five not just uh, american that's a that's a western value Jaron Hatch says, The Gift, as far as blatant character replacement episodes go, it's probably as good as it could possibly be. Kessa's exit from the show is surprisingly serviceable. Serviceable, that is, if you're limited to the B story of a single episode to do it in. Unfortunately for Jennifer Lien, Lean, Jerry Ryan completely steals the show here and her scenes with Kate Mulgrew are electrifying. Their conflict brings up some really interesting questions about consent and how to treat victims, which is exactly the kind of juicy stuff the show needs to be doing more of. But Jesus fucking Christ, it almost completely whiffs in the final scene where Seven of Nine suddenly embraces not just her new situation, but her skin-tight catsuit and her blonde bimbo bombshell hairdo as well. Three-inch heels out of five. Like, honestly, that final shot, I feel, does, intentionally or unintentionally, support Seven's outlook on what's going on. Because they, they slap a catsuit on her. Um you know, give her this, basically turn her into like a Stepford wife. Yep. And Janeway's like, you're not going to misbehave again, are you? And she's like, no, mistress. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it isn't really yeah. that different than, than where she came from. Yeah. It would have been better if she had chose it, right? Yeah. It just has to be a seven thing. You can honestly just like, I, I was wearing that as a Borg. I feel more comfortable doing it. It's like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. Um, the, they get around, boy, they, they really don't want to embrace this idea of Voyager changing on its way home. They, they immediately start getting rid of all the Borg modifications for no particularly good reason, just because they're like, ah, they don't work. They don't work the same way. We'll get rid of everything. I liked the ship when it was half Borgified. It's kind of cool looking. It's like, just leave it that way. It makes sense. You know, you've got a ship, you're going to be using duct tape and super glue to put, keep it together. You know, you're going to be taking on stuff and. Well, I, it, it, cool it, it just felt so artificial because in Scorpion Part 2, the reason they were able to like keep up with the cube or something was because of the Borg modifications. But in this one, yeah. it just cuts to Torres going like, ah, they're all fucking up. We got to get rid of them. It's like, well, why? Like, that doesn't make any sense. I would I would have kept it. Doesn't make doesn't make a lot of sense to get rid of yeah. them. Malo Perverso says the gift. I guess the gift was that Kess left the series, or maybe that Seven joined it. I guess a combination of both. Spoiler alert, Kess will return one more time. How much do I want to read here? I did know she returns one more time. Uh, She'll return one more time in the sixth episode. In the sixth season, sorry. The sixth season. Uh, A non-sequitur question about Seven. Forgot a pen or something? Yeah. I forget the reason why, but she does come back. You a non-sec- in the background getting her final check. From- <laughs> <laughs> All the residuals in this episode. A non-sequitur question about Seven of Nine. Do we know if her Borg voice was altered, amplified for the show? Does she have a Borg voice or is it just me that it finds it rather peculiar? Because in my opinion, Jerry Ryan Seven has a much softer as well as feminine sounding voice when not playing Seven. Oh, I think it's just her voice. Right? She's, just, she's just talking. I wouldn't even call that a Borg voice. Projecting. They should have given her a Borg voice in Scorpion. She should have spoke yeah. with that multi, multi-voice multi thing that they do. 
Uh, sorry, let me find this next one. Matthew Ross says, from the opening with the crowd around seven and throughout with the discussion of humanity, you do have to wonder about the trauma. One, you do have to wonder of the trauma ripping or other deprogramming someone from a cult or just another way of thinking. One question, why pull off the Borg stuff except for the crap clogging the engine? So here we go. We're getting to the points now. As to the Kess goodbye, for a character exit, it's way better than Yar, and it was actually ably done. I, th- <coughs> I think the debates and empathy that Janeway shows also shows great acting range, considering Mulgrew did not like Jerry Ryan. The arrogance of the Doctor versus everyone was pretty humorous, too. Four potsies from Happy Days as director out of five. Oh, no kidding. Is it really? Anson Williams? I guess. Oh, yeah, he is. It's Potsy and Happy Days. Look at that bit of trivia coming from Matt Ross. Jonathan J.K. Moore says, The gift, she's gone, but what a waste of a character. I feel sorry for what is coming further proving the point. Grapple John Zorn says, The gift, I appreciate this episode and that someone cared enough to write out a how do we make sense of this checklist of the things the show needed to resolve before moving forward? Kess is given a reason to go. Seven is given a backstory and a reason to wear a cat suit. Janeway says stuff and Kess and Neelix find a moment to talk about their relationship for the first time. Seven chafes with Torres and calls out Harry's dry spell. Ayala has a line. Who's Ayala? Three accidental metaphors for involuntary gender reassignment conspiracy theories out of five. Norman Buckwald says the gift, it looks like for a while when season three was in a creative downfall, something got in the writer's room to function a little bit better and the ending of season three and the beginning of season four work better. That's in writer veteran Joe Minoski was given a task with how to conclude Kess's story, if only it really was, and introduced seven on her path to individual was a tall order I think that he met well. We had two A stories, really, and they both worked nicely and at times included both characters in the plot. By concluding Kess with her giving them a 10-year push and beyond Borg space, it was brilliant. Yes, it would have been nice to have a season of this, but obviously episodic mentality of the producers was not going to allow it. Five Ocampin pushes without turning into salamanders to home out of five. Really making uh, Neelix extra useless here. Yeah, because well, he's well out of his Wikipedia zone of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see if they... We'll see how this is accomplished. Um, but like, what he, if he ever brings up the fact that he doesn't know anything. I, I did like, <clears throat> you know, for all of Kess's... The Kess story's bad stuff. Her, um, her... Her final line of, this is my gift to you, and pushing them that far. I was like, oh, this is... That's like a very... Sure. Nice Voyager thing. Like it's like it, it's, it is what has to happen. I thought that it was uh, it was clever enough. I just wish. I mean, I know it's the concept of the show, but I wish there had been some discussion or something about like. I know that the warp drive is fucked up, and I don't. Do they ever have a scene when they're trying to get the warp drive going? Where they're just like, if we can't get this going, we're we're never getting home. Like, mm. There's there's nothing like that where it brings up the distance to home as a, um, a refreshingly like refreshing it as a crucial plot point. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> so it would have been nice if it was like, you know, something was fucked with the ship that was stranding them or whatever. And so then she, when she launches them in, it's like, Oh shit. Yeah. She, you know, she saved, she saved us a hell of a, hell of a, hell of a shortcut she gave us their ways yeah i i'm a bit stuck like there is um 
so like the, the reason that they, she gets pushed is it, it's her gift that it cuts off 10 years off the voyage. Right. It's also they cause they specifically say to get them out of Borg space. Right. And the problem here is a real Voyager problem in that the, you know, the, as we talked about the concept of their distance is meaningless because we have more Borg episodes coming up. It's like there, there, yeah, there, there is no, there is no ability to escape stuff. And there, there are examples that I can think of that I'm, I'm not going to tell you, but we're going to run into species that we've run into on Voyager already. Like and they were so far from where they should be. That it's difficult to sort of reconcile how this right. is happening, but it's, it's, it's that kind of a thing. They're even, they're even running out of ideas within their own show. It's, I mean, because the 10 year thing on a normal show, that's a great creative kick in the pants, right? It's like, we just abandon everything and we're, we got the whole new stuff out here yeah. that we can, we can get to. They launched fucking discovery 300 years right. in the future <laughs> and they seem to make something out of it. I think. Yeah. I don't remember anything about that, but I guess they do. We'll have to, we'll, we have to cover the final episode of discovery. I'll, I'll buy one yes. month of Paramount plus just for that. Yes. You see, um, Apple and Paramount are in discussions to merge with each oh, other. Right. Apple, Apple TV. Like the, the, the whole parent companies like Apple is Apple going to buy Paramount? No, just the streaming, the streaming, streaming services. Yeah. So there, I think they're going to, the discussion was to, um, to bundle them together for cheaper than it would be to get both of them on their own to sort of do like a revenue share thing. Like I that. actually, I did the, uh, <laughs> I forget which one of our patrons on discord, um, <clears throat> mentioned it, but they were doing a, a Black Friday thing where you could get three months of Paramount Plus and Showtime yeah. for like three fifty a month or something. Yeah. And so I grabbed that because I wanted to watch uh, that new Nathan Fielder show. Mm -hmm. And uh, as well as I wanted to catch up on a couple of the, I wanted to see the crossover episode on, on Strange New Worlds with uh, Lower Decks. Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Have you watched, watched that yet? Night. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I really enjoyed it. To check it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll get Paramount for the final episode of Discovery, which is coming up at some point. A Latte Librarian says, The Gift, swapping Kess for swapping Seven for Kess is a good move for the series, but Kess's plotline feels forced and dumb. I can't help but wonder how hard it is to be an actor in a hostile work environment. It's not like you can put headphones on and ignore your coworkers like you can with some jobs. I feel for Jerry Ryan. 2.5 light years out of 10. Out of 10 or 5? I guess it's like, yeah, like 10 years, 2.5 light years out of 10. <clears throat> um, yeah, we'll probably get more into it. We'll save some of the, uh, the anti Jerry Ryan stuff for later when I can do a little bit of, um, reading about it. Artorias says the gift is the gift seven of nine, the ship jumping 10,000 light years out of Borg space, Kess's powers and leaving or seven of nine's humanity being returned to her or no Harry's vote doesn't count that drooling simp who won't be getting any anyway. Janeway offers seven of nine, the chance to be a human, i.e. the gift of free will denied her by the Borg, but Janeway will make the decisions for seven until she feels she is human. And what is Janeway's benchmark for this? It begs the question, is this truly liberation or one slave master exchange for another three very very rushed and poorly crafted action scenes out of five. Hey, it had great explosions. How dare you? That's all you need. <clears throat> Enterprise knew this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll see if they, I, the thing is, I, we'll see if they get more into the seven thing 
my idea, like this specifically this idea about like one slave master for another, um, I'm scared that they won't and we'll just have, never have to finish the conversation about it, if that makes sense. I'm but, not expecting them to. I hope they do, but yeah. I won't be shocked if they don't. Yeah. Is that it? That's it. Thanks, everybody, for leaving your thoughts about the gift on patreon.com slash the Penske file. That's where you can go and you get a whole bunch of episodes, all that stuff. 200 plus podcasts over on patreon.com slash the Penske file. And you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. Watch the live streams, get access to the discord, blah, blah, blah. All right, Clay, this is the, I almost called it the Raven. This is the gift. Raven's coming up later. This is the gift on a scale of one to five. What are you going to give this? Um, this would be a five for me if it wasn't for the cast stuff. So oh, wow. I'm going to give it a four, I think. I think this is, this is, it's either a three or a four for me, really. Um, I did like it. I think, I think, I think this one is borderline showable to other people. It's, it's like, I think it's a week four. I'll give it a four too. I'll say it's a week four. It's like the, the cast stuff just is not particularly great. And it's like, it's a, you know, I was mostly a lot of my four from this comes from the fact that this felt refreshingly different for Voyager. Like it, it felt like it was like, Oh, all right. Like characters actually talking to each other. Yeah. There's, it's not some, you know, there's some sci-fi bullshit in the cast storyline, but it's not like they're not just talking endlessly about this techno babble nonsense about what the nebula is going through or whatever. So I'll give it a four um, and hope that Voyager can at least continue this and more, maybe normalize this kind of episode as a three and then we can go back to normal. But I'll give it a week four as well at this point. And I do I do feel uh, strongly that this is actually better than the Scorpion two-parter. I'd rather watch this yeah. episode than that one. Yeah, this was the thing with this show in general and I feel like where we are in our own voyage through the Delta quadrant years of Star Trek at this point. <laughs> the ones that make my ears perk up and like go, Oh, Oh, they're actually talking about something here are the ones that stand out because yeah. so much of them don't. Yeah. And so for them to do that and in a way that wasn't like completely ridiculous or completely off the mark mm -hmm. and kind of present some ideas where you go, Oh, that's, all right. that's worth, worth chewing on. Yeah. It, it right. goes a long way with me. Agreed. Agreed. I'll give it a four. So that's it for Voyagers. Uh, the gift episode. We'll be back with day of honor is the very next one. So is it a Klingon episode? It must be right. It must be. It's the, it's the only way. It's the only time they use that word <laughs> in Star Trek. I, it must be a Torah's episode. We'll see. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you want to support the show, check out something pretty, which just wrapped up. We finished our Deadwood podcast. You can go to the Penske file.com slash something pretty. And it's over there. Just search for something pretty on any podcast app. It'll show up on that, too. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, check out on Patreon, the Rotten Horror Picture Show. We're wrapping up our year of video nasties. November um, will be a little bit late because I had to adjust things because of my, uh, my voice. 
Mm. Uh, but November is... Oh, did we not put a November one up? Not I yet. guess not. We not were yet. supposed okay. to record it yesterday, but uh, I, I didn't have it in me. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> November is Evil Speak, which is a really silly movie about a kid who summons a demon using an Apple II computer nice. while at military school. Yep. And it's the kind of movie where if you've watched the other movies on our list this year or are aware of the video nasties list, you really about halfway through the movie go, how is this a video nasty? This is Mm -hmm. the silliest shit I've ever watched in my life. Mm -hmm. And then the last like half hour happens and you kind of go, okay, I get it now. Got it. I I don't know if it deserves to be on the same list as like, Last House on the Left or I Spit on Your Grave or Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. But there are things in it that, I, it, given the time it came out, I can understand a, a big reaction to it because it's a lot of, a lot of um, combination of new technology and Satanism. Yeah. And, you know, all the kind of stuff that people <laughs> were afraid of then and apparently are now afraid of again. So it's the origins of TikTok. Um, that's it. Thanks everybody for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting us and we'll be back with our next episode, which is day of honor. And in the meantime, the post show is going to come up and we're going to talk about, uh, casts being replaced on the show in a sort of more technical level. That's the question that we were asked about. So check that out on Thursday on YouTube with our post show episode. See ya.